Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Less than one week away from the start of NFL season, which means it's it's down to crunch time in our best ball drafts. So I'm bringing on good friend Pat Corain. We're going to talk through our exposures, our plan of attack for the rest of our best ball drafts. Maybe the guys we draft a little bit too much, Cough, Rojo, Will Fuller, Cough, and uh, maybe some guys that we want to target that we haven't been drafting as much for the rest of the year. Our, our plan of attack for exposures and a, a quick look at, uh, at uh, all the fun we've had this offseason. All right, Pat. One week away from NFL season. Drafted probably way too many uh, best ball. And and I know you're you're deep in the main event streets and everything. How are we feeling heading into this last week? I'm feeling okay. I mean, it feels like uh, like it's tough to even kind of get a handle on where I'm at. So I'm actually kind of psyched <laughs> to be doing this just to help think through like what I need to do to target. You know, because we've got I've got about twenty. Little, I think I have 19 best ball manias left to do, and uh, I want to fire some more DraftKings. I got a little exhausted on DraftKings. I had to come back, do some best ball <laughs> yeah. manias, but uh, mm-hmm. building up. I'm taking taking the weekend off, going away for the weekend, and then coming back the last few days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, going to just fire off a ton of drafts, um, and hopefully I'll be energized for DraftKings, and I guess the puppy's coming out, so just trying yeah. to get a better sense of like what I need to prioritize. Yeah, I've been kind of doing the same thing. This this week, I had planned on drafting a whole shitload of teams, and um, life sometimes sometimes gets in the way. So that's what I've been thinking about too. I have like forty BBMs still to do. I do have a lot of DraftKings done, so I don't feel super pressured um, in DraftKings. And, and and it's also nice, like you said, there is going to be the Puppy Four on Monday. DraftKings is launching some new some new tournaments, so 
Um, I think we can be a little bit flexible as opposed to years past where it was like you had like two or three total tournaments to draft into. Um, so that's I guess that's nice and uh, a, a little awkward at times because we don't even really know what to expect. I don't know. How, I don't know how big the puppy four is going to be. I don't know when it's going to fill, but um, let's let's talk it'll a fill, little bit. It'll fill probably on it'll, Tuesday, so you can. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a million dollar tournament that fills in uh, for five dollars that fills in twenty four hours. If uh, yeah. if these other tournaments are any indication <laughs> of uh, what's going on, do you find it really quick? Do you find it crazy that also DraftKings is going to fill their five dollar milli maker with like nine hundred thousand entries? That's insane. It is insane. I haven't even really fired at that. I know, I know you have, um, and you kind of talked me into firing a little bit at it, uh, just because like the price point versus the upside is so nice. But uh, yeah, I've been doing mostly stuff like the twenty and the twenty-five dollar, which has a smaller week seventeen, mm-hmm. which appeals to me. Um, and I also feel like okay, if I'm going over to DraftKings, let me get something a different flavor, not just the PPR, but also like what, how kind of how I'm kind of building. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, the fact that. Long way of saying, like, the fact that they're filling their $5 tournament, and I feel like that's not even the tournaments that, like, everyone is firing at. Like, the, the hardcore best ball people are not all firing at that. So it is pretty wild. And and, and they're, they've, they've filled, I mean, some of these are small. A bunch of single entries ranging from $5 to mm-hmm. $200. They've filled one $4 20 max already that was, like, a couple, at least a few hundred thousand total price but it was a big tournament and then they got another one and so i i don't know man the people still love drafting on DraftKings, even though i i agree um it comes and goes for me i need breaks from DraftKings because it is a little bit more of a, a tough experience compared to underdog but i think that'll be the thing for me i'm, I'm really going to try to hammer these you know we're talking strategy of of what we want to do in this this final week i think i'm going to try to hammer out best ball mania about as quickly as i can generally speaking some people here's a conspiracy theory some people have pitched that when we get these like puppies and pomeranians and stuff people will say to draft in in best ball mania during that time because maybe you're getting some new users and some spillover and people going in there i don't know if that's that's true or not but maybe i'll test that out on monday i've done that i don't think it necessarily works i think it can work and it cannot work because there's two things going on i think you've got Right. My my theory has been I don't want to draft against like ship chasing nation. And if yep. they're in the puppy, then <laughs> I I'll happily go over to BBM or I'll go to DraftKings. I've also just gone over to DraftKings during, yeah, 100%. during puppy season. But the the other thing is that I think there's other people that think like me that are basically like I'm going to I rather just draft BBM. Everyone's in the puppy. I'll go to BBM. So you, I, I feel like. We should get some stats on this, but I feel like there's a fair amount of badges in some of those drafts as well. So you're not—it's not like you're avoiding everybody. Yeah, that's a good—that's a good point. And you—you know—fingers crossed, knock on wood or whatever. I've not been having very many badges in my best ball mania drafts of of late, and so when are you it has drafting? felt really, really, re- really refreshing all over the place. Absolutely all over the place. Okay. Whenever I get so, whenever uh, uh, <laughs> I was telling Pat before the show, it has been a, uh, a week from hell basically, and uh, some other stuff I've been doing outside of work. So when I get so triggered at all of that, I'm just like, fuck it, I'm popping into a Best Ball Mania draft and like turning my brain off from all this other stuff. And I've seen like one or two badges at at any point in time, and so it has been refreshing. From same thing as you when you're like streaming drafts all the time. Obviously, you guys have ship chasing. We have a similar crossover in terms of like cohort of people that are uh, hopping in the drafts with us. For like sure. if I stream a Best Ball Mania team or whatever, 
And uh, so we've been I've, I've been sneaking around recording recording some drafts off air. Rob and I did that. Pete and I did that. We're we're trying to avoid everybody that's that's listening to this to this show. <laughs> yeah, we might have to start uh, doing that with the main event on ship chasing because we're literally like it's it's a full on streamer draft except we're doing like a two thousand dollar high stakes draft. Yeah, <laughs> right, it, right, exactly. It's kind of like. Uh, uh, it's the opposite. It's a, if you guys did streamed like one of the mastiffs, right? The what is it, twenty five hundred dollar uh-huh. entry or whatever on uh, on on underdog? You know, uh, like ECR and some other people are streaming it in, or uh, underdogs breaking it down, Josh and Hayden and stuff. But like people don't rush to jump and get you know Leonard Fournette and James Conner and some of the guys that you know the the normal person drafts right. the crazy sickos that all of us you know <laughs> just don't even like you know uh, Ben you know you get Ben on there talking about DJ Moore at the two three turn and that's somebody yeah, that yeah, you know yeah. goes in the early fourth round um, so very different very different worlds I pulled up figure we can start with Best Ball Mania since we've kind of been excuse me talking about that and because I have more drafts left to kind of uh, tweak these exposures, right? I can just show super quickly. I'll go over to, to just general exposure and my, my players, right, um, from a, like a, a kind of top 10 or whatever, Gabe Davis, Daryl Henderson, MVS, Kyle Pitts, Michael Carter, Isaiah McKenzie, Dernis Johnson, Marquise Brown, Kenny Gainwell. Obviously, you can kind of see where my general strategy is. It's all late round running backs and a couple of kind of my favorite, you know, spike week type, no pun intended, wide receivers in Gabe Davis, MVS, uh, McKenzie, very high on the bills, obviously, but lots of focus on um, the zero RB type running backs and kind of these spike week-esque wide receivers with a focus on the, you know, kind of elite offenses. Nothing has truly changed too much for me at the top here. I guess Isaiah McKenzie is a guy who I probably won't be getting much more of. Yeah. Um, I was hammering him, you know, in the 17th, 18th round. Um, I And then Dearnest um, being kind of an 18th round guy, I've been cycling through some other guys because he was just my guy. I know you talked about this last year, having a late round flavor of the week running back. Well, Dearness yeah. was a flavor of like two months. And so no, he was, he was yeah, just... he was the flavor of the summer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. So I've been this. This was higher um, on Dearness for me, and I just haven't been taking him of of late, but um, I'm really not trying to get more Gabe Davis, but it just kind of keeps keeps happening. Daryl Henderson, same way. He just is in a range that I, I keep kind of taking. And so I don't have any super strong takeaways from the guys that I want to, you know, move up and down on in my top in my top exposures. Um, do you have anything kind of kind of similar? I, I'm I'm scared to see the the Rojo and Will Fuller bags. Uh, oh, the world. Yeah, time. they're they're pretty uh, they're pretty packed for sure. Um, <laughs> But I don't know. There's a there's a stand here. I don't know if you'll know my. Maybe you will. But I, I've taken a mega stand, and it's not on one of those guys. But um. But yeah. So with the Gabe Davis stuff, that that is really interesting to me because I like you. I mean, I was kind of waiting for him to kind of get to a point where I, it wasn't appealing. Yeah. And I've seen him like in a mock draft we did. Uh, Denny took him in the third round, and <laughs> in a, the last main event draft we did. Uh, a really sharp drafter took him in the third round. Took him in like the early third round. I think he was out of the three. Uh, so I think he went three oh three. And uh, you know, at that price, you gotta re- gotta really think about yeah. it. Yeah, uh, I'm, pro- I'm probably passing pretty much every time at that price. But you know, to get him at the three four turn early fourth, 
still feels really good to me. And I'm hearing from like, you know, Gretsch is kind of talking about, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm starting to feel maybe more like the way to play the Bills is is Davis in the fourth than Diggs in the first. And it sounds like Sean is kind of leaning that way too. So the the kind of like, like Team Diggs is starting to come over to Team Gabe. So it's yeah. like, it's like, all right, well, how, how am I not going to be drafting Gabe Davis now? Especially because his price hasn't really risen. I mean, it rose a ton and then it just stopped. It stopped kind of in the in the fourth, maybe it's crept up a little bit, but it's not in the third. What do you think about that generally? He's a great example of that where we got the guys like him that went from, I don't know, whatever, you know, opening the year in the fifth, sixth, seventh round. Um, I remember the first, one of the first teams I drafted on day one, it was like Cortland Sutton in like the eighties or something like that, oh, you know? And, and that, but that, that stuff happens for like three days, you know, that, that was very, very early on. And then we get this, the fairly quick rise, we got it on Gabe, you know, um, Trey Lance eventually after kind of stagnated. Right. The, but the, he's the, coming the flavor, back down. I know. I know. Well, you know, he's about he's back to being a backup quarterback. So yeah. uh, he should he should fall. Um, but we've kind of hit this point where we've had so many drafts. There's no new information now. Now that we're past the preseason that are you are you willing to kind of just take that right like i agree with you on gabe like at the three four turn it's like i don't like mclaurin over him um you know you put him in a bucket with dj Moore and juju and hollywood and those guys in that range it's like i mean i like all of them fine but what i don't know why he's worse than the than than any of those guys in that tier and so i'm not really backing off i mean i obviously i have a huge stand on him so i'm fine if i want to start playing around with those other guys there but Everybody's kind of like locked in is what I'm saying and generally into like a bucket of ADP. We even yeah. saw Kyle Pitts, right, who was another one of my big stands, shoot up after the 50-yard the bomb. And now he's kind of settled back in again, like early third round. And so are you willing to kind of continue to take some stands? I know you said you have one big stand since we're kind of we're, we're fairly locked into ADP now. Yeah, I mean, I'm willing to take stands like the the I think it's been kind of nice this year to have, you know, multiple best ball tournaments that I'm firing at. And then also with the high stakes stuff, the way it's worked out is some of the players that were on in a fairly big way are, are different than the players I'm on in best ball. Cause you know, I'm, I'm mm. co-managing those teams. So that's like one of the things that really is helpful. I think to have some co-managers, um, you know, gets you off some, some stands kind of helps you break ties in ways that you probably wouldn't otherwise. One of those examples would be Juju, who, like, I'm underweight Juju in Best Ball Mania. I, I think his floor is is pretty low. Um, he's been terrible for three seasons, and I know he's been struggling through injuries and stuff, but, like, we don't generally just, like, write off three seasons for a player, like, ever. <laughs> and, like, we're because he's with Patrick Mahomes, we've just decided that we will, which I get. And we're overweight him in high stakes. And that's exactly how I want to play it. Like, I'm, like, really psyched about that. Because if we miss on, you know, a fifth-round pick in the main event, that's not necessarily going to sink our team. You can replace that player very easily. You know, we're going to be on the waiver wire. You, we got to pick our starters. Like, having a dead roster spot from the fifth round is not that big a deal. But And not that I think Juju will be, like, dead. But I do think that he could be, like, not that good this year because he has been not that good for two years and horrific last year so you know it's like one of those things where it's like kind of floor ceiling stuff where like you know 
I'm comfortable taking a big stand against a guy and then maybe I'll get some exposure elsewhere. Or like there's guys that I'm like, man, I wish I had more of this guy in best ball, but I'll probably just end up playing him week one on DFS because I kind of like his <laughs> early season profile and that's how mm-hmm. I'll kind of take it. So thinking through this best ball stuff more is like this is one slate and I'm going to take some stands and I'm going to be wrong and I'm going to, but I'm going to play this like I would week 14 in some ways and on, on DraftKings and DFS and if I like, you know, if I just whiff on something, I think I, I think that's okay. I love I love, um, and we've talked about this a little bit. I think I, I definitely don't have all the answers in terms of how you should play it, but I think your perspective is perfectly spot on. That people think fantasy football is fantasy football, right? And in reality, there's a boatload of different fantasy football games. And best ball with these tournaments, right? And then people also just view best ball. They're like, oh, it's just fantasy football, but I don't have to pick a starting lineup, right? But when you implement this tournament, right, we're looking at best ball mania here. That's just for even numbers. There's half a million people that are half a million teams that are getting drafted into this. And, uh, you know, more than half the prize pool goes out to the regular season champion and the top five or whatever it is, the top ten of the entire tournament. It's like 55 or 60% of the prize pool. It's like 10 people take all the money from this thing out of half a million. And we're drafting from May to, you know, there's so many variables that I love the, the Juju one is such a, a, a good reference where in best ball, there are these other guys around him who mm-hmm. I think have, you know, um, I, we were just talking about DJ Moore or whatever. I think him and Gabe are, Juju and Gabe are actually like a little bit similar where, um, I prefer Gabe because he's the, I mean, not that Juju's old. He's actually quite young. Um, but Gabe is this ascending profile that I want to be on. I, I could see him as a first round. Like, he, what if he's just yeah. the man in Buffalo? He's the first round pick next year. Juju. He's not coming off the, fi- off the field. He's yeah. the best blocker. Like, he's he's playing. I know it took a while, but it seems like uh, if is he selfie, I think he's out there basically every snap. And so I want to make that bet in in best ball but also because like you said he's going to be out there every time we saw last if you just get gabe of last year he's going to score touchdowns and he's going to have some spikes right he's kind of this small loss big big win type player to me in my opinion i know some people disagree but that's kind of my take like i don't see a way in which gabe davis is out there playing for the bills not scoring some touchdowns and having some good games is he the smash in the fourth round I don't know. Probably not. The, the odds are against everybody. Juju, <laughs> like, like that's what people people will say. Like, aren't you the the the, the Leone? Aren't, you aren't, aren't you aren't you worried about this, that, and the other thing? I'm like, yes, I'm worried about everyone, but I can't draft everybody. I have to I have to try something to win to win this tournament. It's like, what are the odds? Like, I wasn't drafting Julio. In hindsight, I'm probably an idiot that I wasn't taking 18th round Julio. But it's like, look. <laughs> The hey man, odds. I was drafting a bunch of 18th round Julio, and honestly, I'm not even sure it helped that much. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's fine. Like, but I'm not like doing cartwheels over like <laughs> oh, I, now you're taking him in the 10th. Like, I've locked this thing up. <laughs> I know, it, but la- it, it's it's a good comparison. Last year, remember the Daryl Henderson thing? Like, I was yeah. smashing the shit out of Daryl Henderson, and then you did. I did feel like yes, I got one. You know, like yeah, I, I, yeah. Got, I, 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 I won something there. And I obviously, and that didn't matter, but that's the perfect example. It's like the odds are of Julio being the guy you need where I'm not going to make any money if I don't have Julio fucking Jones are so low that so it's low. like, 
like let's just move on and not worry about it but the juju thing is such a great example i just like i said i don't see a scenario in which gabe or like even like dj moore dj moore's floor is so high we, yeah. he's playing with cam newton and he's he's usable in fantasy juju could like like you said just be dust like stone dust he could be the fourth wide receiver for all we know that's very a low probability thing but who is to say sky Moore isn't better than him mvs is just going to be mvs in my opinion and maybe hartman you know maybe hartman is a, a little bit better and, again i'm and not I also think, it think about it from not just like week one he's going to lead them in targets among the wide receivers kelsey will probably lead them in targets but you know he but that's week one it's like the easiest time to find weeks for your for your best ball teams and you know by the time we do get to the best ball playoffs that's when i'm worried that's when I, so when I'm talking yeah. about like am I going to have a hole in my lineup that's when I'm talking about I'm talking about the end of the season with Sky Moore's coming on you know and maybe you know Juju's already been dealing with like a knee thing they changed his contract to give him more of a per game bonus like yeah you know the fact that he struggled through injuries for the last 3 years is also like again not ideal we don't generally <laughs> do this like when someone else struggles with injuries for 3 years we're like I don't know are they going to stay healthy with him it's like well that that means we should write off everything he's done <laughs> so it just seems like maybe the floor isn't being fully accounted for here but he's a great he's such a good example of kind of 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 a lot of things just generally from from best ball but also like this weird game of fantasy football where like you said in in a managed redraft league Take your swing on fifth round juju or fourth round juju or whatever yeah. whatever his his cost is because like you said, A, I'm drafting a bunch more and I get to pick who to start. And if I miss, but if I hit right like last year, if you missed on your fourth round pick, but you drafted Cooper Cup in the third and Jamar Chase in the fifth, who gives a shit? Because you're starting those guys and you smashed. You know what we I mean? We had a team so- our best team last year, uh was just the NFC team that we drafted with Leone. We got uh Taylor, Kelsey, AJ Brown, Jamar Chase, Debo Samuel, and DeAndre Swift, and like from the, like that's it. You don't need. We, then we missed on a bunch of. We think we have Burrow quarterback, and we missed it on like a, like everyone else. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Like you hit, you get enough hits. I mean, that was like we could have thrown back one of those hits and still been fine. Like yeah. you just get, you know, four hits on your team or whatever, and managed, and you're you're golden. But in best ball, in these tournaments, again, um, I do want to touch on what you mentioned, like with the DraftKings stuff, because I agree. And I think that there are some interesting ways to play the smaller field stuff, like the smaller field finals, um, as opposed to these tournaments. But referencing like we're looking at, you know, my BBM stuff here, you need you don't need to hit on everything. Right. But you need like in order to navigate the whole season and navigate those playoff weeks. You do need like a lot of firepower, and it, it, you know you because you're gonna miss. You're not gonna hit on all the 18 guys or 20 guys, but once you start compounding that, right, you should miss a lot of late round guys. But the higher you move up your 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 draft slot that become misses, the much 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 harder it is to uh, navigate all those playoff weeks. And like uh, we talk about the the best team that I had last year that I drafted with Pete um, Pete Overzet from you know that Pat does ship chasing with. And we actually didn't have any of the smashes, but we just had enough decent guys. And it all kind of came together that we were able to navigate the season. There's teams that drafted way better teams than we did. I mean, we took CeeDee Lamb and Keenan Allen and like uh, Brian Mostert was our first Brian Mostert, he, got, yeah. he got hurt. He got hurt in the, like, the first <laughs> play of the season. Like we were, you know, we, we, we didn't draft some monster team, but you just, 
when you have kind of enough firepower and enough decent players that's like again the Gabe Juju thing it's like if Juju misses he misses in a way that he's he's Allen Robinson of last year he's not yeah, giving yeah, you yeah. anything when Gabe misses it's like yeah I mean but he's still going to score like eight touchdowns because that's just just by being on the field for the for the Bills and so I I think thinking about those players and that's why like you see like my exposures like this that's kind of generally how I view it it's like MVS I, I don't do as many managed leagues as you do I will never I don't think I'll ever draft MVS in like I wouldn't draft him in the main event. Yeah, like, I would. I've actually have thought Scott. about drafting him in the main event, and then I was like, "Wait, what am I doing?" Like he's how a one, he's know a one when trick to start him. Yeah, and how, yeah. And when are you ever going to know when to start him? But again, in best ball is like I don't know. I just don't see a way I lose on MBS. I may not win, but I don't see a way I lose. So thinking through those differences, I think is important. Let's talk about AJ Brown because this is this is gonna now I'm gonna have to uh, walk back everything I said about risk management because I AJ <laughs> Brown is my third highest owned receiver. Uh, I have three guys kind of all right together. AJ Brown, I have at 25%. Okay. And uh, obviously, I see, I think he could miss in a way that really does hurt you from that ADP. Mm. So, so, you know, I'm like kind of going against what I just said about Juju here. But I guess what I see with AJ Brown is like, especially I, I just had the walkthrough uh, come out today and just like writing about how good AJ Brown is has been and how run heavy the Texans have been. It's like pretty crazy that this guy who's, I mean, I don't know. Like if he was on the chiefs, let's say he had gone to the chiefs. Oh my God. Wouldn't he be, would we take him? Would we take him over chase? He's right there. I think. Yeah. I think he's, I think that's the argument. It's like, no, Mm -hmm. I prefer chase. I prefer. Yeah. But I think he's right there. So, like talent wise, it's just a, it's just situation. It's just the unknown of the situation. But there's a chance that this team actually is pretty pass heavy to begin the season. They were last year, so it's possible. Yep. So and when you, you come know, out in the preseason and uh, the first first eight plays with the first team offense is eight pass is Jalen Hurts <laughs> threw it eight times and that they never ran the ball. Everybody's you know and and, and nobody really did anything with that information. We 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 overanalyzed the preseason a lot, but nobody was like hmm. This is probably pretty good for AJ Brown and Dallas Goddard and Devonta Smith. <laughs> and like, I know that the the narrative stuff is a bit, but like, they are literally best friends. Like that that should help. <laughs> like it can't hurt. Right. <laughs> like I'm I'm not like uh, not bumping them up my board for that, but it's definitely like a it does make you feel a little cozier with the pick. But yeah, I mean, when you're getting a guy that you like, there's no question marks about his talent. And talk about a guy who's played through injuries. You know, AJ Brown's been banged up the last few seasons, but he's still he's been insanely good when he's whenever he's been on the field. He's good deep. He's good after the catch. Like I just think he's gonna be a perfect fit for you know if if the Eagles are trying to figure out a way to kind of push their offense back towards the pass, he is a perfect fit for helping them do that. So that's a scenario where I am just taking a big old stand on the upside, and I guess. The floor element is that I just feel so confident that he's talented. Yeah. But I do think the situation, the, the floor in the situation is is pretty low. So in that sense, uh, maybe I'm not practicing what I what I preached on Juju. I, I wonder, I wonder if we're. I think that's the general consensus is that situation is what creates the the maybe floor issues, and that's what. So I think people view. I think people would view it that Juju has a high floor because he's on the Chiefs. Because he's on the Chiefs, yeah. 
and and AJ Brown has a lower floor because he's a little bit more expensive. But I mean, it's it's like a round. It's not that big of a deal, um, at least on underdog. But if you're that talented, and the Eagles, the only thing people are talking about with the Eagles being a situational concern is just pass rate. They have the best offensive line in football. Jalen Hurts, I'm not like some big Jalen Hurts stand, but he's good enough to make somebody good in fantasy, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the weapons around him are awesome, which people also will use against guys in terms of floor. But, like, don't we want really good offenses? You know, it's like Brandon. we don't draft Brandon Cooks in the second round because he has no target competition if the offense stinks, right? Um, so I think we use some of those things against guys like A.J. Brown. And, and I'm not sure that I'm that worried about his floor. But I, I do guess that the pass rate does make the floor a little bit scary. But he's dealt with that in the past, like you mentioned. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like he's coming from the worst case scenario. Like <laughs> what you're worried that Eagles might be is literally where he's been. Yeah. So like it's it's all upside from that perspective. And then, yeah, it would be a prop like, okay, let's think about it like this. What if Dallas Goddard and Devontae Smith were traded to the Titans? Where would we be drafting AJ Brown? And we probably would be drafting we probably be drafting a little bit lower than we're drafting him now. Because there'd be no I mean, maybe we talk ourselves into the Titans. Hey, they traded for these two guys. They're going to pass more. But it'd probably be, be like, well, it's still the Titans. They're going to run mm-hmm. the crap out of the ball. So, you know, front, I think the target competition does matter, especially if we know for a fact that it's going to be a low-volume offense. But the out you have is it's not. And yeah. if they're, if there's a, you know, if there's good target competition, but it's also just a super explosive offense, um, which, it, which it frankly should be, then, I, don't I don't know. See, I just have a hard time. I, I, I can't figure out a path, and nobody's ever really – other than Jalen Hurts sucks, which if if Jalen Hurts which was that plausible. Bad, it, it, but, like, they made the playoffs last year, and they scored some points last year without A.J. Brown. Um, and so I, I just struggle to find a path where the Eagles are, like, totally tanking any of these guys, really. like I Because I, even Minshew's the backup. If Jalen Hurts sucks that bad, Gardner Minshew can keep A.J. Brown afloat. Yeah, plus they just traded for, uh, or they, uh, they they claimed Ian Book. <laughs> There's a they they have a they we have an elite the, offensive line as well. We, we need yeah, I know. To start, <laughs> I, I had to I had to claim I had to uh, mark Ian Book as as uh, I think we even blurbed him. I think oh, they made Jesus. us blurb him. So that's why. So you guys need to know that the Ian Book is now in the Eagles because I had to know that. <laughs> Um, that is that is great. Um, but, I'm, I'm loving the, the AJ the AJ Brown points, and that's pointing me to something I wanted to touch on a little bit too. Is when you we can't cover every base in terms of figuring out who we want to target and stuff. And even if you could, you have to you're in a draft room. Somebody else might take them or whatever. But figuring out, I, I, so I, I have my AJ Brown exposure up on the screen. I have 16 percent AJ Brown. 50 uh, percent of those teams are zero running back teams, which I'm totally cool with. It's like all elite quarterback teams but you do see a lot of isaiah mckenzie on those mm-hmm. teams a lot of melvin gordon on those teams dearness who we mentioned um a lot of isaiah spiller and so i am interested in getting some more aj brown but then i want to be like okay <laughs> i'm fine doing aj brown zero running back teams but like all these guys i have with aj brown almost all of them are in much worse outlooks <laughs> than than before. Dearnest, nothing has happened. Spiller is probably just stone dust. I Noah think he's Fan, done, yeah. No, no, Noah Fan is not looking particularly great. I mean, thirty one percent Jamal Williams. What the fuck are we even doing? Uh, <laughs> How did you that know, happen? The pa- 
the the Patriots. Yeah, but that's I didn't know any of this, right? Um, the Patriots don't don't look very good. It, you know, it's it's kind of it's kind of worrisome. And so figuring out those kinds of guys, um, and then figuring out how I want to apply the AJ Brown teams moving forward. It's like okay, we're not doing Isaiah Spiller anymore. We're not doing Dearness. So let's find some other guys to get with the, those last AJ Brown teams. Yeah, I actually want to check mine out. My uh, here, let me try to pull up my exposures here. Uh, let me share my screen. Yeah, so okay. these are, is this sharing? Yep, you're you're up. Okay. Um, all right. So there's the stand I was talking about. Oh, I I should have known. I should have known that <laughs> you one. You should have. I shouldn't. I should have known that one. Okay, so here's the million dollar question then. Literally million dollar question. Two million dollar question. Are you just gonna keep drafting him? Are you like where are you comfortable taking him in these last handful of drafts that you have? So I what I've done, and this is what I've generally done with um with uh with kind of every player that I've taken a stand on is once I get to a certain point, I just start wanting ADP values. And he's actually falling a little bit. So now I'm yeah. saying, okay, let me get him in the end of the eleventh. And I've I've been in the eleventh, and I've pushed him around the the turn because I was there's another guy I wanted, so I was like I'm gonna push Rashad White around. He came back, so I got him in the twelfth. So that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to like make myself get that value because there was a time where I was just like the tenth round is for Rashad White, <laughs> like that is what it is for. There's no other purpose of the tenth round, just hammer Rashad White. So uh, that's kind of how I got him there, but. Uh, yeah, now I'm like, well, maybe the 11th round is for a shot white or the 12th, you know, depending on the draft. So uh, I'm kind of easing easing back a little bit. But, yeah, like if I'm – especially if I'm on the back half of the board these days, there was a time where I was at the 10 3 I was like, I'm just going to take white. He's not coming back. But now I'll, now I'll see if he does come back. I like that. I think that's a really sensical – people ask that all the time, right? We have – and we'll have it again next year, the silly take a stand versus diversification conversations and all of that. I think in reality, it's more of what you're outlining is like, I do want to target this player. Everybody has that. Everybody has somebody that they like or certain uh, 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 cohort of guys that they prefer, you know, drafting. And once you reach a certain level of exposure, everybody has, a, again, a different number that they feel comfortable with or not comfortable with. But from then on, it's like, okay, I don't need to avoid if this guy is the best pick. I don't need to just avoid him because I have 40% of him, but I can be I can push the limits a little bit. Like you said on now, let's maybe maximize those teams as opposed to like, yeah, <laughs> I was just taking him. I would like uh, uh, Tony uh, Felix Castro is his name. He won the DraftKings Millie last year. He posted his BBM exposures and he had uh, like <laughs> it was literally like 80 or 85 percent Nico Collins. And it was like he, he he drafted him in every draft and he didn't really care about ADP. Um, and then obviously Nico shot shot way, way up and it worked. It worked for him. So he probably would have had more. But Nico yeah. shot way up. And so he didn't didn't have to press it as much anymore. Just doing little things like that, I think, is is the real conversation around like diversification and, and, and all that, as opposed to like you can't draft more than 20 percent of any player like that's silly. Well, I also think like check in. Like I checked in on Rashad White, um, probably like in June. I kind of I checked in with myself. I mean, and I was specifically thinking about how I'm approaching these kind of double-digit round targets. And at that point, I had too much Rojo, even for me, even at the time when I thought he was going <laughs> to have a role <laughs> before he was a healthy scratch. <laughs> yeah. 
So, you know, I was like, this is ridiculous. So, and I was like, and what is it costing me? And I was like, it's costing me Rashad White, who I'm super excited about. So that's kind of, I made a pivot specifically to target more White. And then I kind of like checked in again and was like, I think this is like one of the best plays on the entire board from like a cost perspective, a like he has a massive ceiling week type of situation, like doing the analysis that I did looking for, you know, the guys who can kind of win you weeks. I mean, he definitely profiles as a guy who can just absolutely win you some weeks. Um, And particularly at the end of the season, Uh, you know, as we know, Jack Miller did some research that rookies do come on at the end of the season, which we, we think intuitively, but it does happen. So, uh, yeah, so he's just like, I mean, and frankly, he's just such a good prospect that I feel like maybe that's a little bit underrated uh, because he did fall to the third round and there was some worries that he wouldn't, you know, maybe even get drafted. Uh, But, I mean, his prospect profile to me is like better than James Cook's, you know, I think it's from like a PPR perspective, I kind of like it better than Kenneth Walker's just because Walker doesn't catch passes. So I'm very excited about Rashad White uh, and kind of happy to have that stand. It's like that makes me feel good that I have that stand. But I don't want to take a bunch of stands like that personally. Yeah, and I think doing it, I I, I prefer, obviously, (laughs) now I'm going to kind of contradict myself. I prefer doing it in those ranges. So, like, MVS is a guy I was comfortable taking a stand on because he's a ninth, 10th round pick for the longest time, maybe even deeper. Kind of, He's kind of, you know, definitely not the same archetype. But like Rashad White, it was like <laughs> I would get to the ninth round and it was like, okay, this is MVS. I'm taking MVS. And now I'm like, okay, let's make sure he makes sense on this team, pushing him a little bit further. Obviously, I took a stand on, on Gabe. That's also a little bit for the bit equity. Every time somebody tweets that Gabe is priced at his ceiling, I draft him again. So that's uh, that's uh, <laughs> you just uh, do it on command. I'm gonna I'm gonna tweet it out later. <laughs> you, you were asking when do you when do you get in when do you get in drafts? Well, it's every time I see on Twitter. It's every I'm time you see Gabe scrolling Davis. Twitter for anti Gabe Davis tweets, and then I go, <laughs> "You're like, oh, come on, man! I'm behind on my draft. Someone fucking tweet." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, but it's the same thing as uh, as uh, your approach to Rashad White. Can you? So you have AJ Brown pulled up here. I want to yeah. see. AJ Brown is a stand and Rashad White is a stand. Can you go to oh, your uh, ad, the, ad, ad, ad Rashad? I want to see what the, the Rashad and um, AJ Brown teams look like. Oh, they have a lot of McKinnon. McKinnon has also been a stand. Uh, I like it. He's one that I was like getting pretty nervous about. And then <laughs> now I'm not nervous about it. I'm like, okay, like yep. we're back in. Like, he's getting all the third down work. McKinnon is one of the weirdest ADPs. There's a couple that I. So uh, let's talk about McKinnon first, because then I want to talk about Tyler Higby. Uh, oh, Mc- Jesus. <laughs> McKinnon, like, the, everything that's happened for him has been good this offseason. Like, Rojo is a more of a known commodity. He's going to be an early down guy. He's not necessarily stealing work from McKinnon, but he could have. There's Maybe if you don't like Rojo, you don't think this ever was possible. But, you know, I was thinking of scenarios where maybe Rojo is taking a fair amount of the early down work and the CEH is actually getting a lot of the receiving work. Yep. Instead, CEH has been getting, like, the goal line stuff. Pacheco looks like he's going to mix in for kind of, like, between the 20s garbage stuff. And he's the kick returner. So he probably won't have, like, a huge role. And then McKinnon has been getting the receptions and the passing downs. That's like the nut outcome for McKinnon, and his yep. ADP has fallen. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand it at all. 
no, he he's been a guy who um, I was in also on Rojo at the start of the summer and had the it, it, like the Chiefs backfield is just one of the most bizarre situations like that I can even really remember for fantasy because it was at, at that time if if I were a betting man I would have said I think McKinnon might get cut yeah um, yeah yeah it did look like I was holding my breath there's a period where I wasn't drafting him I was holding my breath right and so. Um, I, I don't, I, I have 7% McKinnon, but I have to your point and kind of the point of this show. I am, he's a guy like I'm, I'm reaching a little bit on ADP, uh, particularly I draft a lot of zero running back teams. I also think right now is an awesome time to draft zero running back teams because we're getting a lot of these guys like McKinnon at, I, at what I think felt right. So you can take Rashad Dwight, you can take Daryl Henderson, you can take Devin Singletary, you, uh, Jarek McKinnon, and these guys both have crazy upside and actual we know they have a defined role for week one i mean rashad white's maybe questionable but like you said 15th or 16th round Jarek mckinnon is gonna score points for you week one well, that's probably and, why i have so much mckinnon to be honest is because like white is not my week one play but mckinnon is yeah but he also just by as we saw last year he came on strong at the end of the year he has no competition gen you know uh, generally speaking, no one thinks Ceh is good. Isaiah Pacheco is a seventh round horrible prospect from from Rutgers, and Rojo apparently is just not good at football. I don't, I don't know. No, nobody likes him. Hey man, so, that last preseason game, give yeah, him credit. Yeah, one uh, the typical the typical Rojo uh, get, get, keeps you hanging. You know, we're, we're he hanging sure on does, that, man. He's we're hanging, hanging for you. They were hanging on to that ninety eight yard touchdown for for a long for a long time. <laughs> But it's like if McKinnon and, and we've been bullish on McKinnon for how long since he was since he was a rookie and stuff. Right. Since he came into the league. Now he's like the dusty veteran that we wrote off who showed us some of the most upside in this Chiefs backfield last year. And it was at the end of the year in yeah. on a playoff run. So they clearly are willing to ride him if everything else goes to shit, basically. And so the paths to him being just a stone cold smash are so clear. It's so clear to me that he could be a total smash. And there's again, there's like no law. If he's playing third downs, you can't lose on him. Yeah. And I know like Pete, uh, Pete over that he talks about like doing, you know, kind of like layering, the zero running back types of archetypes, you know, and I know you've, you've talked about that as well. Um, I like that concept. I also like the layering, like the, uh, the timelines. So like McKinnon to me is like, okay, what if McKinnon does just turn to dust? I mean, we were calling him dead legs McKinnon two years ago. <laughs> yeah. He's two years older now. His legs aren't getting any younger. <laughs> so, you know, he might just be like a five, six, seven week type of dude. And then he just, completely goes away uh yeah but with a Rashad White you know that's like the Rashad White's supposed to be coming on as the season progresses you know as a rookie um yeah. and maybe he doesn't have any third downs to begin the year but they start trusting him a little bit more and he's building up that role so that's I think like I think about that with the wide receivers as well like if I have uh like I you know you can see that I draft a lot of Sky Moore and Traylon Burks I sometimes will go and get like a gross, like AJ Green type of guy, uh, or just kind of like a veteran, like a Jarvis Landry. You can tell I've been hanging out with Ben. Um, <laughs> that's like the type of dude who I'll. Uh, he's on five of these these white brown teams. I'll try to get a guy like that just to like help get me some early season points because I've drafted you know maybe two of the rookies already. Right. 
Right. I do. I do like that. That's definitely um, one of my big focuses, and probably a, a a little bit of a weakness that I have because I like. I generally just like all the same types of archetypes, right? Rashad White is an archetype that I just generally gravitate to and I think is the league winning type and tournament winning type archetype. And so sometimes you'll get into a draft and we're all human and we just keep clicking buttons and you're like, oh, yep, so-and-so's there at this pick. I like him. You know, maybe he's past ADP or something. And the next thing you know, you know, you drafted a zero running back team with six Rashad Whites. And uh, and even if it even if it gets there, um, you know, late in the season with some of those guys, you may not have even advanced that team to that point. I think I will say the one thing I learned last year is don't be forcing the low upside, um, like early season guys, mm-hmm. particularly at running back. Right. We were, we yeah, would yeah, do yeah. JD, we would do JD McKissick and we would do, I think Naheem Hines is different this year than he was last year, but we would do Naheem Hines on these teams. And it was like, are his three or four points in half point PPR really helping you? So like, you'll see my exposures, like there's not JD McKissick on there. There wasn't James white, you know, that I wasn't taking James white. Even I know Ed time Montgomery's funny. Cause he's a wide receiver on, on underdog. But like, even when he kind of looked like he might be the third down back, like I'm not, I'm, I'm not taking him. Um, I know Sean likes Amir Abdullah. I don't really like Amir Abdullah on yeah, underdog. There's either. other backs. There's other backs. I like back there. And so I don't need to take those guys, but it would be more like Devin Singletary, Rashad Penny. Um, I'm trying to think of, you know, guys like that. Melvin Gordon. Antonio Gibson. Until Antonio Gibson became a guy who I was taking. When he was getting into the hundreds, I was, take, I was taking him like crazy because I don't know if the upside is there like we hoped about for last year, but certainly a role was who was yeah. going to, he's going to score points. So layering that kind of thing as opposed to, I think people will be like, oh, well, I'll just take, James White is the guy. I know he's retired. James, I'll, I'll put James White on this team because I need the early season points. And I think there's other ways we can do it. And looking at Liam's team last year, like his, uh, the, the the final part of his roster, I think it was five of his last six picks, all had a week that contributed from week 15 through 17. So he missed on Deami Brown, which I think I'm responsible for. Um, and then otherwise, <laughs> trying he just... to figure out who did, who <laughs> yeah. did Deami Brown. But literally, I did Deami Brown. So I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't think anyone else is on that. Um, but like every single other guy crushed. Like obviously he had Amon Ra, but I think you know he also had. Uh, I'm forgetting all the people now. But like every single dude like that came through with a week at some point uh, that helped him in the playoffs. And so that I generally am trying to think through like, okay, who can who can deliver me a spike week that'll help me get through the playoffs? To that point, I've started doing more three tight end builds because mm. when you get to round like. Well, really, when you get to round 17 and 18, there's only running backs left. But I would say before that, the wide receivers have started to get a little bit gross, maybe in like 15, 16. There's still some pretty solid tight ends. So Mm -hmm. I'm thinking like, okay, I need like one week 15 spike week. What's going to hit my lineup more easily than a tight end? You know, the bar is so low. So if I just get a dude who can score two touchdowns, who has like, likely to have a full-time role in this offense I happen to catch that week then you know this gets me through a playoff week and I, I don't know I think tight ends maybe were a little undervalued in ADP this year just in general um, and so I've been I've been built you can see here on these these builds I've got two five eight three and two six seven three as my second and third most common builds after two six eight two 
I love it. And I, I you've talked about this a little bit too. It's um you talked about uh I can't remember what show it was on that um which has also been funny because some other people I know are are on him, but that someone like a Pat Fryermuth is like a an easy like one of the easiest fades in in best ball. And say whatever you want about Pat, Pat Fryermuth, but he's the name that sticks out to me. That's just in this middle tier of of tight end where if I'm gonna pay up that price for one of those guys, give me even at least give me like Goddard or Hawkinson. Oh, where man. like Goddard, you know, especially. Are, I'm not a big hot guy, but but Goddard, but, I love. but that tier, right? Um, I really like Goddard. Yeah, I don't draft him a lot of T.J. Hawkinson, but or, or give me one of the guys who I know has clear, proven superstar, elite tight end production, the the top five basically. If I'm gonna dip my toes into this Zach Ertz, Pat Fryermuth, you know, Irv Smith range, what is the like? Just wait and get three late guys. That or or multiple and, and who would you guys. say are good targets in that range? Uh, in the late in the late range, not fucking like, like an every Higby. down player for a good not, offense, maybe not fucking Tyler Higby. No, I'm kidding. I don't I don't dislike Tyler Higby, but I was <laughs> rotating through what I would do a lot with the late round tight end stuff. I'm curious what you're doing. Is is someone like a Higby? I was doing it with Fant more frequently. I've backed off the Fant stuff since. Now, I mean, a, a part-time tight end on the Seattle Seahawks doesn't sound. Leave it to Pete good. Carroll to trade for <laughs> to trade away his franchise quarterback for Noah Fant, and then be like, "And now you'll be splitting time with Will." <laughs> God, just, just absolutely miserable. So, I backed a little bit off of him, but it was like that guy is kind of the layering that you were talking about, like at running back. I'm like, I can get uh, Fant, Higby, um, Hunter Henry. Like guys that were another guy more to splitting time though. Yeah, I know. I I've clearly established the guys to not draft anymore moving <laughs> forward in this in this tier. But then I would mix in the Trey McBride's. Yeah, Dolchich I'm taking before, McBride. Dolchich before he got hurt. I was taking Isaiah Likely. Now that price has gotten out of control. But I was taking Likely, Daniel Bellinger, Janu, those guys late and mixing through some of those guys where it's like they all have the upside, probably more upside than the Irv Smiths and stuff of the world. It's just the, the early season, probably not much from a lot of them. And the floor is like literally nothing. I mean, Isaiah Lakely could not play, could just not ever play for the Baltimore Ravens. But I think that there's a, a path to real upside. And so layering my tight ends as well. Yeah, I, I need to. So one of the things that's occurring to me in this conversation is I feel like I need to prioritize more Njoku, who I wasn't taking a yeah. ton of. He tends to go just before Higby and Everett. And right. so, um, I've kind of I'm often taking a running back in like the twelfth and thirteenth, and so I don't tend to think about you know Njoku. But from a who's going to help me advance through week fifteen, sixteen perspective, he's as good a bet as anybody. So I feel like yep, he'll be a priority. I also I've been getting a little bit uh, grosser at tight end uh, than even the guys you mentioned. I think because I'll take I'll take Austin Hooper. And stuff. Oh, it's Jesus. Just, it's just like he's, hey, he's going to be out there and maybe he catches touchdowns. But now I'm starting to think, like, should I be taking Logan Thomas? Like, if I'm, is a third tight end? Because he's going to be out there, right? By the time we get to 15, 16, 17, he'll be probably in an every route role. Yes. And he's completely free. You could tack him on the 18th of every draft. And then I, Trey McBride, I like, I took him today on a Kyler team. I feel like he should be the one skyrocketing up with, with Ertz uh, dealing with a hamstring. Yeah. I totally, I totally agree. I, I really don't know why he goes, where, where he, where he goes when 
you know, he, he usually doesn't go. Doesn't get drafted. Yeah. And, and yeah. That, that sometimes happens on DraftKings in 20 rounds um, that he, he won't he won't go. It's very it's very, very bizarre. I don't really get maybe I'm just missing something with Trey McBride and the Arizona Cardinals, which is very possible. I miss on plenty of stuff. I mean, I drafted Trey Lance. I drafted a backup quarterback in the seventh round last year. Yeah. Did you notice but, that Trey Lance was my highest owned quarterback on these beautiful A.J. Brown, Rashad White teams? Yeah, that is Could beautiful. Be That's how you draft. A.J. Brown, Rashad White, Trey Lance. I mean, where are you? Uh, that just print the money right away. <laughs> what could right go now. wrong? Yeah, what could possibly <laughs> go wrong? Um, but I, I love this late-round tight end um, type of thing. It's another thing. I, I'm trying to do this a little bit more. But I, I was mentioning, like, kind of barbelling tight end, if you will. Like, if I'm mm-hmm. – and, and I'm, I'm actually not drafting a ton of Kittle and Waller. I might try to scoop some Waller now um, just because he really fell very yeah, far. Yeah. But it was like – for me, it was like almost just like Kyle Pitts or bust. It's like if I'm not getting Kyle Pitts in the third round, I'm going to do this late round tight end thing because the market's gotten pretty smart from those all those mid rounds. Like like you said, once I get to like 15, 16, 17, the best guys are tight ends usually or maybe even a quarterback. And so I kind of want to be done at running back or mostly done at running back and wide receiver by that point. So that's turning into this barbell tight end thing, which in turn we're talking through exposures is like <laughs> my Kyle Pitts exposure probably isn't going to go down. Uh, yeah. It might stay the same, but it's probably not going to go down. And but my late round tight end. So like I'm, I'm open to Higby. I mean, it's funny you mentioned Njoku and, um, you know, I, so I Higby's on one of my Njoku teams. But these would be two guys I do want to bump up. Higby, yeah. um, I only have 5% in Joku. I don't know what I have on Higby. But um, kind of the same general thesis. But it's because I was tra- <laughs> 7% Higby. 7%? Tra- okay. We're, we're about You're right kind at market. I never should have searched this. I, I, no, I'm I, not I wish it, I w- I'm, I'm way above market. <laughs> yeah, shocker. But you can talk. I, I've heard you talk a little bit about Higby, and I do think it's it's totally reasonable and Look, i'm riding this, high after my zach Ertz call last year yeah. i think every 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 gross tight end i touch turns to turns to gold in my mind so <laughs> hey i mean at least this guy how old is tyler Higby? at least he's at 30 least Higby, is he 30 yeah no he's 30 he's old okay never mind or he turns uh, 30 if he's not 30 he'll be 30 soon yeah okay got it um but i mean i i, I can get behind tyler Higby. i think um what about what about stru- stru- structures for the rest of, of the way? What have you been doing um, generally up to this point from a structure perspective? I can put yours back up here if you wanted to, to uh, show it. And then uh, what, what about the rest of the way are you thinking from a team structure perspective? Lots of elite yeah, so quarterbacks and elite tight ends. Lots of elite quarterbacks and elite tight ends. Uh, I, I, really, I really feel like that's an edge. Um, Although the elite quarterback stuff scares me a little bit because ADP has been so good, um, Rich Rebar's talked about this and uh, and written about it. Where you know we've just kind of like dialed in over the last couple years on quarterback ADP, and like looking at that, it's like yeah, you know, we did get we were just like Matthew Stafford's going to be a smash, and he was, but like that was probably we're doing it again with Kirk Cousins, we're doing it again with Derek Carr. Yep. So like those are the ones that make me nervous. It's like we've just decided who's going to have really efficient passing seasons, and we've actually been really right about that recently, but we've never mm-hmm. been good at that historically. So that scares me. Um, also, maybe we just drafted a backup quarterback in the seventh round for uh, most of the summer, <laughs> two, so that could two be years, two, years in, two years in a row. We've drafted a backup quarterback with reckless abandon. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with us, but we just love yeah. doing that. Uh, so, you know, that could definitely backfire in a big way. But there's stuff like, you know, 
Kyler Murray goes in the sixth round now for some reason that no one can mm-hmm. explain. Um, so that makes it hard not to take elite quarterbacks. Um, and I, you know, I like obviously the guys that everybody likes. I like so, and I think it's like those guys they they can do everything and they can they're so efficient and they're a lot of them are in high volume passing offenses that are really pushing it and and are operating in ways that we're not used to seeing NFL teams kind of be bold enough to operate like so. I think there's a lot of reasons in general to be in on most of the elite quarterbacks. And the elite tight end has been such an advantage. And I also, one thing I'm doing is I will, if I have a Pitts or an Andrews or, you know, any of the top five, I will tack on. Let me let me pull up my, uh, let me pull up my Pitts teams. Because I, I will tack on three. So okay. I, I only done it on 10% here. Well, I guess 15%. Um, I do Andrews. Let me see Andrews. I'll I'll go ahead and tack on too late with some of these. Yeah. So here, on eighteen percent of my Andrews teams are two, six, seven, three. Interesting. Um, I'll do that because the play is I get Andrews to week seventeen, and it's kind of like yeah. with what Herzig Herzig has talked about. You know, maybe if you like experiment with like throwing a handcuff on, you can get like a low on running back. I'm thinking about that with the tight end. Where if I know that I want to target that pocketed tight ends in like 14 through 16, where I don't love a lot of the other positions, I don't, I do not like, I kind of like the running backs around like 17, 18, like it's just pure flyers, but I don't generally like them in 15, 16. Yep. So tight ends are kind of jumping out to me in that range anyway. So if I go like Andrews and then Everett Higby. You know, that's something I've, mm-hmm. you know, done a fair amount of. Uh, or just elite tight end and those, those two guys are, I'll, I'll throw on like a Hurst or whatever. Just, you know, it's, you don't gotta, you don't gotta love the guy, but it's just like, <laughs> this guy can score two touchdowns in a week I need. Um, so that that's something I've definitely been doing a little bit more of, even with the elite tight end, which I obviously love uh, the elite tight end strategies, you can see. De- definitely tight end is, I think probably the best place to do that i mean tight end and running back the the two highest leverage positions are tight end and running back tight end because it's 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 a onesie and the scoring is you know wild and unpredictable and there's very few high scorers so when you do get that like you mentioned you get that random two touchdown from from hayden Hurst, right last year cj uzoma has that random two two touchdown game it's so impactful at that position because even Kelsey Pitts, Andrews. And so why was Andrews 70% in the final last year? Cause he's the only tight end putting up 15 plus point, 15 plus half point PPR. Like even Travis Kelsey's having three fantasy point games, you know, uh, if that's yeah. just the nature of the position. And so um, I, I, it has grown on me. I'm still very uh, stubborn in my tight end thing. Also, I have an unhealthy level of confidence in Kyle Pitts. So I take a lot of a lot of him and I just ride it out um, with the with the two tight ends. But I think it's it's kind of the same thing as like running back. I've done I take a lot more quantity of running back this year. I think that was a mistake I learned from last year that I'm I, doing I continue, that too. I continued. I have lots of seven running back teams that yep. last year. I don't know if I drafted a seven running back team and I think it was a huge, huge hole in my game. And so I think the tight end thing could be similar, but at these high leverage positions <clears throat> when you are either barbelling it right with a hero running back team like an elite tight end and and then a late tight end or you know going with a, a late round approach to that position zero running back or late round tight end 
like I was stubborn in like, I know I, you know, I need my two, five, nine, two or whatever, you know, I need to do that as opposed to being like, no dude, your RB one is Devin Singletary draft seven of them because yeah. you'll yeah. get that effect. You'll get that natural layering effect and the effect that you were talking about. Like, how do I get, um, Alexander Madison through to the final when that's the, when maybe he was a bust, but that week is, is when Dalvin's out, right? Maybe they suck. The playoffs are over. Well, I need all these running backs. It can't just be because I had three good ones. It's I need the seven, right? How do I get Mark Andrews through to the final? It's maybe I luck box that Hayden Hurst two touchdown week. So those are just little minor tweaks I've made that I'm, I'm really smashing those the rest of the way too. I feel like I've done a lot more six running back builds on hero builds as well, which those yes. to me were always five. But yep. now I'm like, you know what? Let me push it with our running back too, which I like doing anyway. But now, you know, I can afford six here. And like, especially the wide receivers have really dried up by the end. So what am I going to tackle on some random wide receiver or, <laughs> you know, get the position where I actually could use the points more? Wide receiver is really bad, right? At the end, that that's like it's a, so that's bad. like, that's like you said, I kind of like I like the late round tight end thing. I've been taking um a good clip of Marcus Mariota. He's one of my he's like one of my flavors of the week now, where the market is so sure he's not gonna play enough games because the Falcons are so bad that this dude is a hundred percent like a top fifteen fantasy tight end with the way he runs and and I think Kyle Pitts, Drake London, at CPAT, et cetera, is good enough to make him a fantasy relevant quarterback and we just don't get rushing qbs like that late in drafts anymore and so um i i I would bet on him only starting eight or something games but like what if they beat the saints what if they you know what if they win a couple all you got to do is be like two games under 500 through 10 weeks and you're in the playoff hunt with so many playoff teams so yeah, I've been a coward with Mariota. I think it's probably a good play. I haven't done it, but I I, I do you do Ritter do at all? Do you do Ritter? Ritter no, because I think Ritter sucks. Yeah, I think Ritter just I just think he completely sucks. And uh, Kevin Cole's been talking about his numbers under pressure during the preseason. They have cratered when he's gotten pressured, which was the red flag on him is that he has yep. he has been horrible when pressured in college. And that has translated to the preseason, even though I think people have been generally pleased with how he's looked. Mm-hmm. But that is not going to endear him to Arthur Smith if he if he's <laughs> bad under pressure. So you, I think maybe you have an out with Mariota of him getting benched by like week 10, but then coming, coming back, back in for the end of the season. Because they get a look at Ritter and they don't like what they see. I think that's like very live. <laughs> that's what I call the, the thing I was hoping for with Sam Darnold last year. <laughs> where uh, he came out hot, right? Sam, I mean, you you never seen victory laps like my uh, first month of the season. Sam Darnold yeah. victory laps. He he he's leading the NFL in rushing touchdowns, and I had I had to do something to mask the fact that Trey Lance was my highest owned quarterback, and so it was like <laughs> so you doubted Sam Darnold. So so it was like you idiots. I Sam Darnold. It was just the Jets stink. We knew it. Get it, you know he's got Joe Brady. He's got DJ Moore. Whatever. He was like the QB three or whatever through the first month. And it just felt so fucking good. And then, <laughs> as as expected, Sam Darnold became just the Sam Darnold. I mean, he, he turned back in. He back turned in back Sam, into Sam Darnold. How Sam much Darnold. DJ Moore do you have? Oh, good, good question. He's probably another guy that I need to take more. No, again, no pun intended. But uh, 11 percent. So 
I'm saying I'm 16. percent Maybe maybe a smidge more of DJ Moore. I think I need. It's been he, he's in that Gabe general Gabe range. He goes a little bit before him, and DJ Moore is just a guy who I try to push a little bit, maybe more than I should sometimes. And so I probably have pretty good ADP value on DJ Moore, relatively speaking. Uh, not like he's fallen much or anything, but. Um, yeah, I mean, about three picks or so. I generally get him around pick 36, and he goes at pick 33. So it's not nothing nothing special, but the market just doesn't like the Panthers and doesn't really appreciate DJ yeah. Moore. So I think I just I don't get overexposed because I'm willing to push him a little bit more, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I get that. Um, he's someone like, I, I think he could maybe be the guy. Like, guy who's been really good every year of his career, never has had quarterback play. Never. I mean, his quarterback play has been so, so bad. They had Kyle Allen. Do you guys remember that, Kyle Allen? Oh, yeah. I mean, you think Cam Newton, it's like Cam Newton, Sam Darnold. We just completely forgot about Kyle Allen because that was so horrific. His best quarterback play was Teddy Bridgewater. That's the best quarterback play he's ever had. I mean, Baker doesn't even have to be good. Baker just has to be like not terrible and it will be a major improvement for DJ Moore. And I mean, I the like target it. competition, Robbie like completely fell off last year. He almost can't not rebound a little bit, but you know, he's not getting in the way. They don't have a tight end who catches passes. Christian McCaffrey is Christian McCaffrey's going to get a ton of volume, but like a running back is not limiting wide receiver volume. That's not how he's that works. He's probably helping because he's extending drives. And, yeah. You know, he, he's very helpful because he's catching the five, you know, he's catching the ISO route against the linebacker and getting eight yards or whatever exactly. when, when nobody else is open. Yeah. He's moving the chains and everything. So it's, uh, I don't know. He's someone that definitely, I thought he would be priced up. Now, obviously, I don't have as big as, like, I'm talking a big game. I, I'm at 16%. I feel like I need to get a little bit more. But, yeah, um, but yeah, I thought he might move up to, like, the closer to the 2-3 turn. And he never did. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought I might have to be, like, Higgins or more. Like, ah, oh, this is tough, man. I've never had to make that decision. No. So, I just feel like, I don't, I don't know why the market hasn't maybe been a little bit more excited about him having competent quarterback play for the first time ever. I, I, I agree. I don't know what it is. Well, well I, actually, I think I do know what it is. The market loves either either or the shiny new toy or the guy who has been good before. Mm. Like 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 at a really high level. At a really name, high level. Yeah. The name, right? Juju was what? The wide receiver one or wide receiver two once upon a time, right? You, you, you've said multiple times that <laughs> – it was it was almost a half. Well, he half wasn't even because he because he was playing with Antonio Brown. So AB. I forget how he finished. I think he finished fifth in yards, fourth in receptions. But so he was an obviously a superstar. Yeah. you know for for fantasy for, sure. for a year when he was. And very he was like young. the dynasty wide receiver one. Like we were very excited. Right. He was. He was. I'm not. He, I'm not saying he was this good. But like that's kind of how we view like Chase and Jefferson right now. For right. Sure. Like Juju would have gone in that range if we if we were drafting in that environment. Yeah. Back, 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 or this environment back then. So anyway, but you have Juju, who everybody's, and then he goes on the Chiefs, and it's like, oh my God, remember how good Juju was once? So we, everybody feels comfortable taking him in that tier. Allen Robinson, I can't get over this Allen Robinson shit. Everybody is obsessed with this dude. Who I might like, be wrong, and I'm willing to be wrong. It's 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 kind of the same thing you mentioned with Juju that I, I would be, I would be willing to take a Rob swings, if if you know there was a little bit more paths to like actual like superstardom like if he was three years ago Allen robinson 
on a on the Chiefs. Like if the roles reversed, I would get it for Juju. Like if he was on the Chiefs, whatever. But I don't really see paths to being like, yep, Allen Robinson was the guy you need. Like, how can Allen Robinson be this year's Cooper Cup when he's on the team? <laughs> he's with, with, Cooper, Cooper Cup. With, with, with Cooper Cup. You know what I mean? It's like almost that simple. Like, how, that's who I want in that tier. I want Cooper Cup or Jamar Chase. He plays with Cooper Cup. So I don't know how he can be that, be that guy. But people love him. Right, it's Allen Robinson, and now he's on the Rams. Well, so People let me let him. me let me play let me defend Allen Robinson here, and this is this is purely a devil's advocate take. But <laughs> okay, Mister Gabe Davis, you're yeah, taking a, a wide receiver too, talking about how he can be the guy you need, and you can't take a wide receiver two on the Rams. Are the Rams that much worse of an offense? Defend yourself. No, and that's the that's the argument that is hardest to debunk when you talk about Gabe, but it is obviously uh, an, an an age breakout type thing. A Rob has broken out uh, ten years ago, or what you know, eight years ago, or whatever it was. If anything, when I'm betting probabilities on these types of players, the 23 year old who has earned his way onto 100 percent of snaps on the best offense, you know, or at least like the highest pass rate offense in the NFL, is an archetype I would be willing to lose on. Allen Robinson is the archetype I do not want to like. I think I I, I started writing something. Um, this is another thing that I need to finish, but. Um, calling it the, the Richard Seymour strategy of, of basketball. Remember when the Patriots traded Richard Seymour when he was like for a first round pick or maybe even like multiple. Yeah. He was he to the Raiders and everybody was like, this was in their, the peak of the Patriots dominating every year with Brady, whatever. Richard Seymour was like the best defensive lineman in the NFL, all first team, all pro whatever. And they trade him in his prime, but he was like 28 or something like that. Maybe 29. He was still good the next year, but then gone, like out yeah. of the league in like a couple of years. That's how I generally view best ball. And I think that's where I differ from other people, right? Why do I like Javante Williams? Why do I like Gabe Davis? And why do I not necessarily like Leonard Fournette, James Conner, and Allen Robinson? It's because I'm willing to accept that they might beat me because I see all the perks, right? This is Allen Robinson. He could still be really good. And now yeah. he's on the Rams. James Conner, obviously, I saw he was on my best best ball team i know how good he was last year same thing with Fournette. but i want to find the new like i want to find the new justin jefferson i want to find the new christian mccaffrey jonathan taylor or whatever and i'm willing to take swings on the archetypes i think best fit that and and i'm comfortable missing like being comfortable missing and and being too early on guys on both ends of the spectrum is kind of where i come from so i thought you were going to go with the richard seymour analogy because i think this is sort of how i draft is I kind of do the Jamie Collins strategy. Oh, okay. You like so right? So he's on the he's on the uh, Patriots. I believe they traded him to the Browns. Yes. I forget. Right. So twenty seven, he oh. moves to the Browns. I think in season. And then he comes back to the Patriots at thirty years old. <laughs> uh, record records eighty one tackles for him. He's he's you know it didn't work out. He comes back. And you get a little more juice out of them. That's kind of like where I'm like, once once you're in the 18th round and you're Julio Jones, I'm interested again. Oh, you're free? <laughs> you're free now? So, yeah. yeah, to me it's like, where's the prices on an Allen Robinson? Because if you're, if you're paying more for Allen Robinson this year than people were for Robert Woods last year, when we know that Cooper Cup is an absolute superstar, when we weren't sure before, like, yes. it was like, Robert Woods or Cooper Cup, which one is it? There was uncertainty that you got to benefit from there. 
you don't get to benefit from that uncertainty in the same way as Allen, with Allen Robinson. You also have uncertainty that's bad. Like, do they sign Odell Beckham at the end yeah. of the year? That totally ruins your week 15 through 17 juice for Allen Robinson. So there's lots of, like, reasons why I, I think that, you know, that that's not a super appealing pick for the price. But if Allen Robinson was going in the 13th round, because people were like, oh, he's dust last year, I'd be smashing. So... Yes. Yeah, to me, it's like once I just want the I want to scoop the free guys. That's to me where Higby. Like all I hear from Higby as pushback is he's bad, and I'm right. like I know, <laughs> I'm aware. He's also available in the 14th and 15th round. He plays mm-hmm. every snap for the Rams. Even Gerald Everett, who I like, I'm not sure he has an every snap role. Higby does. Higby, they do not have another option. He's going to be out there all the time, yep. and it's like the same. It's like oh, he might catch a lot of touchdowns. Like. That's the same argument for Allen Robinson, but I'm getting him for free. And you guys are, you know, you're passing on passing on a boy, Gabe. Yeah, I, lo- <laughs> I actually love, that's a really great, I hadn't thought about the Allen Robinson, I hadn't thought about Allen Robinson through that lens with the Higby thing, probably because Tyler Higby doesn't make his way into my brain very often. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> but, uh, but it does make sense, but it, it is, it is very true. It's like Allen Robinson's name brand has pushed him up into this, fourth fifth round or whatever when in reality like <laughs> it, it, he could be just bad and like you said that's what you get with tyler higby but at a position where it does I, I don't really give a shit if he's bad right i yeah. i draft hayden hurst you know everybody's bad? bad hayden hurst sucks evan ingram sucks like irv smith if, sucks i've never irv have we ever seen any the whole argument for irv smith is that he was once young that yeah, that's right. the that's the bull case for Irv Smith. He was once young. He's never He's done ju- anything. Juju of tight ends, never having had the juju. <laughs> he never did. <laughs> yeah, you're supposed to have the good year. When did that happen? <laughs> when he came out, he was he was young. He was young. <laughs> he was young when he entered the NFL, like five years ago. He's worse well, than. than 32 year old Kyle Rudolph and Tyler Conklin he, he couldn't you know he's worse than those guys <laughs> look I mean if, they, if he's if he flipped with Higby I'd be hammering uh, Irv Smith because it's yep. like I, I believe he's gotten every down roll and I think the offense could be good so yeah it's just like hey give me the cheapest guys who have an every down roll and are bad because guess what the guys you're drafting are bad too is Hawkinson good I'm not sure like is Zach Ertz good <laughs> definitely not is Dawson Knox good definitely not like those guys are just you know, Ertz is probably not even an every down guy, but Knox, the whole play is he's an every down tight end on the Bills. But that's a big premium uh, from Bills to Rams compared to compared to Higby in my mind. Definitely. I'm trying to see if I can uh, get this. Here we go. So here's my tight end, just general tight end exposure. So you can kind of see, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much with you. Al- I got the Albert O bags. Oh, you got the Albert O bags. We didn't bring Albert O up, but he's uh, he was a fun one to... to <laughs> I got very scared, like I think most people did there for that for that little for that little stretch. But then the market hadn't like really totally bought back after the Dolchich. Um, I I still I'm at six percent, which is kind of funny. So I feel like I can get back up to even here pretty you, easily. You definitely can easily. He he's a guy that I'm willing to target um, moving forward. Here Everett, I do I do like. I was also a little bit worried about Everett um, before Parham got hurt because there was like not a. Now, now Everett's getting hype, like from some of his teammates and stuff. Like I think it was just today or yesterday, but before that, the early reports were that like Parham looked better than than Everett did. Yeah. And so, like you, I was like, oh god, is this? It felt like fans. 
felt like yeah. how I feel about Fant now. Now I don't have those concerns, so I'm still willing to take Everett. Hurst is the I have the same. Hurst was probably my Higby, uh -huh. basically. Um, so I was playing. I was doing the same thing. So who am I to fucking make fun of Higby when I got 11 percent? <laughs> <laughs> Hayden, Hayden Hurst. Hayden like, Hurst. Oh my God. Who's so bad he like was a ba literally a backup last year. Dude, I mean. Hey, he was once okay. a first round pick. You're forgetting. He was once a first round pick while we're doing the Irv Smith thing. He was an old first round pick, but he was once a first round pick. Hayden Hurst. Let's, let's do the Hayden Hurst bull case because I actually think there's a real, like, it's not, it's not real, but there's a, a half bit bull case. I'm at 11% too. We're, we're, we're Hayden Hurst brothers. Look at us. Uh, okay. <laughs> Look at us. Now the the conventional narrative on Hurst is that he stinks because he's never played very well and uh, he's he's now on his third NFL team and he's been a backup twice. <laughs> but but <laughs> isn't this the bull? Isn't this, this the is? The, I'm getting to it. I'm getting to it. <laughs> but think about the fact that this guy he gets drafted by the Ravens who take Mark Andrews in the same draft. Talk about. Shit luck. I mean, this is a team that's going to feature the, the tight end in a huge way in the coming years, and yet he can't get on the field because Andrews is just that good. Okay, that's fine. He goes and replaces Austin Hooper, the you know, the jaggiest jag, and he, you know, goes into Atlanta. He's gonna be their starting tight end. It's all looking okay. He kinda you know, he has a whatever season. Nothing terrible, wasn't wasn't embarrassing. Then they draft Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts! <laughs> Probably he probably got cut by the two best tight ends in the NFL. Yeah, at least receiving receiving tight ends. back to back. Unbelievable luck. So now, okay, sure. Until they draft, I don't know the name of the. It would be this would be funny if I knew the next great tight end prospect. But until the, <laughs> until the Bengals draft him next year, you know he can he can have a little run here. <laughs> I'm, now I gotta know who's the best tight end in college football. And, 2022. Oh, Brock Bowers. I don't know if he's uh, uh, tight end eligible. Or or Michael Meyer uh, from Notre Dame. Uh, I do actually know those names. And they are. they are Brock Bowers is a bad dude. I don't know. Like I said, I don't know if he's draft eligible. But honestly, you know, other than, other than the intro, which made him sound like he's a, CF, he's a CFL level talent. Well, that's why he's uh, going in 17th round. Yeah. But again, this tight end thing, I know we've talked about the tight end stuff a lot, but I do think it's actually been one of the biggest kind of like light bulb aha moments I've had of, of this entire draft season. We're looking for ways to kind of leverage the field or, or ways our opponents are drafting that might be wrong, right? We can do all, like we do the player takes, right? I'm taking this stand on Gabe Davis, mostly because I want to dunk on people. Like we're doing all these different, you know, these different approaches to drafts generally with players and structure and all of that. But like thinking about how we could be totally wrong about like a position as a whole is like fascinating to me because that's where like the real like you just lap everybody. If like you take three late round tight ends like like Higby, Everett, Fant, Higby, Everett, Hurst, whatever. And those guys just like outscore all of the early tight ends you know as a collective obviously even if they if they match travis kelsey right they match kyle pitts and you just spent your 16th 17th and 18th round picks on them and you're or, beating, so you're you're matching everybody at this onesie position and you're beating everybody at the other three positions you just unlock the skeleton key through one little thing which is as we've talked about here for probably half the show is like one of the most evident things ever it's the only position with every tyler higby's running every route and playing every snap 
where do I get that? So, someone put someone point me in the direction of a guy at another position that I can find that in the 16th round or whatever. But also like tight end. So this is from to your point of like taking the three guys. You can definitely do that. But what if you take Kyle Pitts and then tack on two of those guys? Because like, okay, this is Darren Waller's game log from 2020. I'm picking three weeks, not completely at random. But he went, he goes, so there's a four-week stretch. 5.2 points, 18.3, these are half PPR points, 4.3, so complete dud in in two of these three weeks. So you could see, you know, 4.3 in the championship week or whatever, you can easily outscore that. But what if that 4.3 was week 16? What if that's, you know, all of the, the Waller teams washing out? He scored 38.5 points the following week. So to me, it's like, like even, and that was in 2020, the season when, you know, following that, we were drafting Waller super high. That was his good year. So I think in a good pit season, we could be looking at some pretty wild swings in his game log. We generally yeah. do see that at tight end. So if you can just get a guy through, you know, I think that's pretty a pretty interesting way to play the position because we know, like, if Pitts has 30 points in Week 17, if Kelsey does, if if Andrews, there's only five or six, maybe seven guys in the whole league who can have, like, a 30-point week at tight end in Week 17. Getting that guy there, if he's low, if he's had a dud, would be even better for you. Like, you prefer that he dud yeah. in Week 15 and 16 and you get through because now you're facing less teams. You actually have leverage on the field with that tight end. I love this. And Kittle's always the guy that comes to my mind when I think about that exact th- that exact thing. Um, the Waller example was obviously still very good. Kelsey is a little bit of has been. I'm not saying he will be high floor and high high ceiling. And that's what I'm hoping for from Pitts, right? And that's what Andrews was down the stretch. But those are one example a year that we've gotten at tight end. And it doesn't always have to be the case. Those guys could be the wild swings, like you mentioned. But like, think about George Kittle, right? These are George Kittle's game logs. This is, this is from last year. The reason why George Kittle is drafted as an elite tight end is not because you're getting this 14 points a game every single yeah. week baked in floor, right? It goes from four for 78, four for, four for 17, seven for 92, four for 40, and then six for 101 and one, right? Then you move on down to... A couple games in a row, nine for 181 and two from your tight end. Like you said, it, it, we can't guess the timing, but then look, two for 21, one for 29. It, one for, he went one for 13 before he went nine for 181 and two. So if this was instead of week 12 and week 13, right, this was week 16 and week 17, but your week 16 was the Hayden Hurst six for 60 and two game that gets you out of that week 16 and then you have george kittle and goes nine for 181 and two and you're one of you know six people that have george kittle yeah. in the final like that's how you win two million dollars it's a very micro example but i think tight end is a like this is part of why like i mentioned with the zero running back stuff is like when i have seven of these running backs like that's part of the power it's not just all the, the things that we talk about all the time with zero running back and such it's how do i uh it's how do i like you know, layer all this together and get leverage in, in the final. It's also the so. ADP environment where, look, I mean, if everyone thought like, oh, you know, you got to get three tight ends to try to get your tight end through. And, you know, the last definitely acceptable tight end was gone by the end of round 14. I would, 
I would exclusively be doing two tight end builds. Like I would yep. never be tacking on a third, but that's not the case. Like wide receivers we talked about dries up in a big way. It feels like more than last year to me. Um, there's some running backs around, but you know, the, the tight ends, there's, there's some really viable guys, even, even 18th round guys like Trey McBride. I mean, we just, we just saw Pat Fryermuth be valuable down the stretch. Yeah. You know, he's, it's like, man, I want to bet against Zach Ertz. I think he might be dust. Everyone thought he was dust last year. And then he, he lands on the, or lands on the Cardinals and all of a sudden he's not dust. So yeah, I mean, I think there's an ADP environment that supports this right now. And maybe next year there, there isn't. Yep, I love I love that. that. That's really honestly, um, we talked a little bit about it. That's kind of the thesis, right? Is we're looking for these things in the market that could be advantages, and it's not even like player take. We we talked about like ten different tight ends or more that are available back there. Pick your guy or cycle through them all or whatever. But it's 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 this weird. Everybody's pushed up wide receivers, and then you reach this point of the off season when we're drafting in May. There were all these running backs because we could pipe dream about everybody. Right. Mm -hmm. We could pipe dream about Keontae Ingram on the Cardinals. And it's like, you know, all those guys are gone now. They're not draftable, generally speaking. So running back dries up. Right. I really like Zamir White now, but he used to be a 17 round pick. I can't talk anyone into him. Thank you. I took him. I took him in every dynasty league. And uh, he's a he's a smash in dynasty when Josh Jacobs is gone next year. Um, But I I keep drafting Zamir White because, I mean, he might just be the guy. I don't know why. I really don't know why we're doing this thing with Josh Jacobs falling. But Zamir White, nobody wants to take. Anyway. I don't get it. But but he's he's like a 13th or 14th round pick now, right? As opposed to a 17th or 18th round. So who do I take in the 17th to 18th round? Well, we didn't talk a ton about quarterbacks. But I think there's quarterbacks there and there's tight ends there. And then that's when we start to figure out how to um, leverage the field. All right. We talked a ton about a lot of a lot of different stuff um and went much longer that tends to happen uh much longer this is like a, the ship chasing marathon episodes where we're like yeah let's do a draft and then it's you know 2 30 in the morning and we're Should still we rip t- another one let's rip another. Th- yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> then leone's out for runs and it just devolves into chaos but um you, you mentioned you you were you wrote or are writing the the walkthrough it's out, it's out right now it's out, it's out it's out right now must it definitely must read stuff and then you've also obviously finished up your legendary uh running back articles which are also must read stuff but what else anything anything else uh coming up yeah that's it if you're drafting read the legendary running back uh article if you're uh whenever i'm sure you're not done drafting but whenever you are <laughs> and you want to start thinking about some week one stuff the walkthrough game by game preview column for week one out now um dive deep into lots of uh, you know, kind of game flow type stuff, pass rate over expected, but also looking at just, you know, target share, snap counts. I, there's a ton of fun nuggets in there. I think you guys will enjoy. Um, got me pretty excited about watching some actual football. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited. I also really enjoy um, how you do the, the walkthrough um, because uh, I'm a little bit of a robot from a DFS perspective. I have the things that I like to do, and obviously I have access to projections and all that kind of stuff. But I always learn something or or not even just learn something see something through a different lens when i go through it, it could be 10 things it could just be that one thing where i'm like man and then you start to apply it to, to dfs or whatever you're like well that guy's not owned or that guy's going to be really popular and maybe you have something you know that um that it just makes me think differently and though that's the kind of content that uh that, that yeah. i like yeah because there's a narrative like last year there's a big narrative last year that um the browns and the vikings were going to shoot out and that one of the things I that I was proud of in the walkthrough is that like 
that's not how I saw that game at all. Like, I was like, <laughs> yeah. these guys are going to be psyched. Like, they're going to be so psyched. They're going to be, like, hugging each other before the game. Like, let's fucking run the ball, man. <laughs> you know? Like, they're going to be so happy. And they did, you know? Yep. So I think that a game like that that jumps out to me that's, like, maybe a little bit less of, like, a shootout environment could be the Cowboys and the Buccaneers, both dealing with offensive line questions. You know, we just saw them have this massive shootout last year where the Cowboys went super pass-heavy. Yeah. And I think it could maybe it could maybe flip. The siren the siren does not want this information out here. They're coming for me. <laughs> they are. Just about, is that Brady? That's uh, yeah, or Brady. Goodell. Goodell, yeah. Goodell is like, would you? Sh- would, this is our feature game. Would you please shut the hell up about about this? I totally agree. I already bet the under. I already bet the under on that game. Uh, I, I am I am pretty into that. Before we go, can you sign off on Chiefs Cardinals? The Chiefs are just going to hang a huge number on the Cardinals, oh, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay. That one's that one's fun. And if you're looking for bringbacks or or if you want to play from the Cardinals side, because they're gonna get pushed to the air, I do think that one of the things that really hurt the, the Cardinals offense last year was not just that they lost DeAndre Hopkins, but that they had him in a deep threat role. And when he was out, they replaced him with Antoine Wesley. <laughs> Didn't work. Shocking. <laughs> and they I think it really hurt the offense to lose that. They have, obviously, Marquise, but they don't have Hopkins, but they have Marquise Brown in that deep threat role. I feel like if the Cardinals are able to hit the ground running again this year, it's probably going to be through Brown. They're gonna, He's going to have that connection, be able to open the offense back up a little bit. So, to me, like I wouldn't be messing around with like Kyler stuff that doesn't have Brown. I think if the Cardinals are able to hang with the Chiefs, it's because of that connection. Love it. Absolutely love it. Um we're recording this on a Friday, so everybody have a, a good weekend. We'll be having some more pre-recorded stuff coming out here on the channel, so be on the lookout for that. Obviously, you probably already follow Pat and everything, but uh, we'll see. We'll see you guys next time.